Okay, we start here on the Mishnah on the bottom, Nun Bet Amadet. Mishnah says, Chamor Yotzeh Bimardat. Chamor can go out with its, it's a large saddle blanket that goes across the entire back. Zman Shik Shurabot, as long as it's tied to the animal. Zacharim Yotzim Libuvim. Zacharim can go out coupled, paired. Rechelot Yotzot Shechuzot, exposed. Kvulot is tied down. Ukvunot is covered. They'll all be discussed. Each of these issues will be discussed in the Gemara. Haizim Yotzot Tzururot. Tzururot means tied up. Here it's talking about the udders of the goats that they tied them up. We'll see in the Gemara, sometimes they tied them up to stop them from nursing, to dry up their udders. Other times they cover them to protect the udders. Other times they cover them to protect the milk in the udders. Rabbi says, none of these are permitted. That's the only thing that is permitted. You can send them out covered in order to dry them out. Because then they would tie them on much tighter, and there isn't a risk that it would fall off. Because those types of covers aren't as tight, and since they're loose, there's a fear that they will slip off, and then you'll come to carry them in Rishut Rabim. So Amar Shmuel, Shmuel says the qualification on the Mishnah about the Mardat is Vuhushik Shur Lo of Shabbat. It has to be tied on to the donkey from prior to Shabbat. Amar Rav Nachman, Matnita Nami Deiko, can be medayik this out of our Mishnah Diktani. And the Mishnah says, Eina Chamar Yotzeh B'mardat, Bizman Sheina Kshuralo. So that's the opposite of our Mishnah. It's the next Mishnah which says what you can't do. What you can't do is have this Mardat that is not tied on. So Echi Dami, what's the case? Ile Mishena Kshuralo Klao, it's not tied on at all, Pshita. It's clear that you could not do that on Shabbat. Dilma Noflole. Ba'atele Etuye. It'll fall off the back of the donkey. If that's the case, you'll come to carry it. It's not tied on from Erev Shabbat. From there you could conclude that the Reshuk Shurlo Merev Shabbat Shmamina. The case in our Mishnah must be a time when it was tied on even from Erev Shabbat. So it has to be tied on before Shabbat. As Tosavot points out, Rashi explains why that is. Because if it was Shur Merev Shabbat, have a Chamur. That it becomes like the clothing of the Chamur when it's already tied on to it. But if you go to tie it on, on Shabbat itself, then it becomes either a Masui, feels like a Masui because it wasn't on before, it's not clothed, or it looks like he's trying to carry the Mardat. The donkey doesn't need it. You're trying to move the Mardat from one location to the other. That's why you're putting it on on Shabbat. Otherwise, you would have put it on the donkey before Shabbat. Or it looks like you're trying to travel to a long distance on Shabbat itself. There are all these reasons where putting it on Shabbat itself would be problematic versus Erev Shabbat. So now the Gemara continues. Tanya Nami Ochi, of a bright that supports this. Chamor yotzei b'mardat b'zman shekshurlo me'erev Shabbat. So Chamor can go out, donkey go out with this mardat, as long as it was tied on me'erev Shabbat. V'lo ba'okef, afo pishekshurlo me'erev Shabbat. But with the saddle, a smaller saddle, usually used to hold on the loads on the back of the donkey, that you can't put on the back of the donkey, even if it was tied on me'erev Shabbat. B'shemigalmi omer afo ba'okef b'zman shekshurlo me'erev Shabbat. You can go out with the okef as long as it's tied on me'erev Shabbat. Uvad. But the conditions on that are As long as you do not fasten it around the head and around the tail. By fastening it to the front and the back, then you are supporting the okay to keep it in place. And that's only done when it has a load on it. When it has a load on the back, what you're afraid of is that it will slide forward or slide backwards. So therefore you tie it, fasten it around the tail, and you fasten it around the neck. That way the okif can't move around. It won't slide forward when it's going downhill. It won't slide back when it's going uphill. Obviously on Shabbat that's not relevant at all. If you want to have the okif on, that's fine. But to have it fastened that way, that's only done for loads. And that's clearly not allowed 
on Shabbat, and it will be considered to be a Masui if you have it on. Are you permitted to put a saddle on a donkey on Shabbat? Now, this is not a question in terms of taking it out to Rishut Rabim. We already clarified that. That our Mishnah said, you have to have it tied on in the air of Shabbat. What we're talking about here is in the Chatser, in the courtyard, in the local courtyard, where it's not a problem of Masui, of carrying. It's a question of Muqsah. Is he allowed to move the Mardat? Is he allowed to place the Mardat on the back of the donkey? Samalei, Mutar. So that's fine. If you want to put the blanket, that large saddle on the donkey, you can do it. Samalei, Bichima ben Zelo Okif. What's the difference between this and the regular saddle? The Okif, which is Muksa. Ishtik, he didn't respond. Now, when he was silent, Rav Asi Barnatan thought that Rav Khir Baashi thought that they were both Mutar. And that's why he was silent. So therefore, now he brings a Braito that supports his position. It says, If you have this saddle on the back of the donkey, you may not take it off straightforwardly with your hands. You walk it around the chatzer, it falls off by itself. So, over there, it's clear you can't take it off because it's muksa. Place it on, but hand, place it on, and to place it on the back donkey, what's the question? Again, his assumption was that he was silent because he thought it was mutar, both by the mardat and by the okif. He's being a bright that's showing that the okif is clearly muksa. Samale Rabbi Zeira, Shavkei Svirale. Leave him alone. He holds like his Rebbe. His position follows that of his Rebbe. Damaravchia Barashi Amar Rav. His Rebbe being Rav. So he's following the position of Rav, which is Tolin Traskal Lebehima Bishabat. One is allowed to tie a feeding basket around the neck of the animal on Shabbat. And certainly one could put on a mardat. Over there, it's just a pleasure for the animal. It's not a necessity for the animal. The animal could, if you put the feed down on the floor, or you put it in the trough, it could bend over and eat it. All you're doing is making it easier. You're putting it in the basket right there so it can eat without having to bend over. That's a tanug, and there we say it's still mutar on Shabbat. It's not considered to be problematic. Here with the mardat, where it's painful for the animal, painful because the animal will be cold without it, it keeps it warm. So there, certainly, it should be allowed. If Rav allows you to put the feeding basket around the neck, then certainly he would let you put on this mardat. The mardat is a blanket. It's a blanket. It's a large blanket, but they use it to ride on it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it has uh, multiple uses, which is that it's, it's a large blanket that goes across the back of the donkey. You'd use it if you were to ride the donkey also. But the donkey likes it anyway because of the heat that it provides. Shmuel Amar, mardat mutar, traskal Shmuel says that your madat, the blanket you can put on, the traskal is a sur, but the feeding basket you may not put around the neck. He told over Shmuel what Rav had said with regards to the feeding basket. Obviously they agree by the mardat. It's the feeding basket where they disagree. Says if that's what Rav said, he doesn't know Hochot Shabbat at all. Abo is a reference to Rav. Over here, Rashi says that it's Abo because Chaverai, that he says, my good friend. That's why he's calling him Abo. In other places, Rashi says that Abo is term of respect, like Rebbe or Abo. So that's why Rav had that title of Abo. Over here, because Shmuel is his peer, or quasi-peer, he's translating it as Abo being my friend. When Rabbi Zera went up to Eretz Yisrael, he found Rabbi Yaman Ber, Yafet the Yati, Vikamali Mishmed Rabbi Yochanan. He was saying in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Notim Mardat, Agavichamor, Bishabbat. Amalei, Yeyashir. 
Like, yeah, share kochacha. It's good. Bethain targama aryoch bivavel. So too, aryoch said this like you in bavel. And the Gemara says, aryoch manu. Who's aryoch? That's Shmuel. So Rashi explains why aryoch is Shmuel. Because he says, Shmuel kari aryoch, Hashem she'abaki b'dinim. Shofet Kamelech is an expert in Dimim and he used to judge, adjudicate like a king. And that's the principle that we have when it's Rav and Shmuel, that Allah is Kishmuel Bedine, and then Allah Kirab be Isure. So Shmuel has the upper hand when it comes to Dine, when it comes to issues of adjudication. Tosafot says that Ayoch is the name of a king. The example is in Breshit, Ayoch Melech Elasar is one of the kings in the battle of the four and the five kings. So why do you mention that? It's the all kings. That's the word Ari in it, which means a lion, a strong king. So that's uh, who Shmuel was. Umar says, Why did he say that Shmuel said it like you? Rav also says that putting a mardat on the back of the Chamor is permissible. Why did he only mention that Shmuel was the one? Ella Shamei Dava Misayimbe, he heard him concluding, Vein Tolin Traskal Bishabbat. And then he says, Amalei Yasher, Chain Targama Aryoch Bevavel, that only Shmuel agrees to. Ram says that even the Traskal we are allowed to put on on Shabbat. So here when he said, yes to the mardat, no to the Traskal, that was according to the position of Shmuel. So Rabbi Yochanan and Shmuel agree. And that's what Tosafot points out over here. Generally, when we have Allah, Rab and Shmuel, Allah Kirav. But here, because Rabbi Yochanan agrees with Shmuel, comes to Rab and Rabbi Yochanan, Allah Rabbi Yochanan. Plus, you have Rabbi Yochanan and Shmuel on the same side. So here we're going to pass on Allah like Shmuel, not like Rav. The Kuliyama Miat Mardat Mutar. Clear that everybody believes that you can put the Mardat on the back of the donkey. My Shnamiokev. Why is that different than the saddle that we're talking about, the smaller saddle? Shani Otom. Defshar Denofio Mimelo. So one answer is that you can get it off the back. The Okef, you can't carry it. We're not going to allow you to engage with the Muksa because you have an alternative. The alternative is to have it walk around and have it fall off. So that we'll allow you to do on Shabbat because you can do tiltol minatzad in a sense. You allow it to fall off. So we're not going to allow you to directly take it off. On the other hand, the mardat, to place it on the donkey, you can't do it. The only way to do it is to put it onto the donkey itself. That's one answer. Difference is why you would engage with these items. The reason that you put a mardat on is to warm the animal. The reason that you want to take the okef off is because you want to cool the animal down. He had the okef on, mi ojom. While it was still daytime, he did him load. And now he's still hot from carrying that load. And you want to get the okif off to cool him down. To warm it up, the donkey, we'll call it, is in pain, is in difficulty because it's cold. To heat it up is what's called tsar chaim. Protects the animal from being cold. On the other hand, to cool it off, that's not called tsar. Being hot or too hot is not a tsar. That's true by a donkey because this is the colloquialism. This is the saying that people have. That a donkey, even in the summer solstice, is cold. The nature of the donkey is to always be cold, not to be hot. So therefore, if it's an issue of cooling it off, it naturally cools off. We're not going to pay so much heed to that and allow you to engage with the oka. If you want, you can walk it around until it falls off. But eventually it will cool itself down. With a coolness, or when it's cold, that you need to actively intervene because it will not heat itself up. It will not be able to keep itself warm. So, lo asus shu'au, v'lo has zaharurit, 
The Masorah Tashas brings down that it could be Zihorit Shebenenav. A horse can't go out with a tail of a fox hanging between its eyes. Rashi says it's to ward off the Ayin Hara. And not with a red string that he says is decorative. That was before the modern day where that was also to ward off the evil eye. But they have a red string between the eyes. Both of those are not allowed. Lo Hazav Hazav who's having emissions may now go out with a cover or a cup of some sort to check on how many emissions he's having. And the goats with a cover over their udders. And not the cow with the muzzle on its mouth. And not the foals, the young horses, with the basket tied around their necks. The Rishut That's not allowed to Rishut HaRabim. And animal not with the, what we call a horseshoe, on the foot. And not with an amulet. Even though the person who wrote the amulet is an expert. And we're going to see later on in the Gemara, by humans, to wear an amulet is only allowed on Shabbat if it's done by an expert. Expert being defined as he wrote three amulets and cured people with those amulets. So then it's permissible to wear it. Otherwise it's not permissible. And these are chumrot by the Eimah from man. With some sort of bandage over the wound. And with the equivalent of a cast. Pieces of wood that hold the leg or arm in place when it's broken. Or an afterbirth placenta that is half hanging out. And you can plug the bell that is around its neck. And you can walk around with it in the chatzer. So all of these items, in terms of the sus with the zanab shual, that is problematic because we're going to see, as the Gemara says, that we don't allow anything for amulets, that is not allowed to be worn by the animal on Shabbat. That's considered to be a masui. Same thing with the red string, the crimson string that... One puts between the eyes, that's considered to be decorative, and that is a masui. The zav b'kishelo, the problem is that he's using it, he wants it there to capture the emission. So therefore, it's melacha shetzricha gufa. It's not a piece of clothing, he's not wearing it as a piece of clothing, he's wearing it simply to catch the liquid that's coming out. And that is problematic. Izim cannot go out with the kish shibadadayam, they can't go out with the cover on the udders. Rashi claims that the problem here is that there's going to be milk captured in the covers, and therefore it's going to be carrying. Tosafot doesn't necessarily agree with that. He thinks that there are other issues in terms of whether it's rubbing its udders against the ground or protecting it from injuring the udders. With the muzzle on its mouth, because he might come to take it off. And in because again... These are loose items that can come off and are unnecessary. Now, the horseshoe, you know how to put on because it might come off and then you're going to carry it. Obviously, it's not like the horseshoes today where they were fastened in a way that they don't come off, that you don't have these issues. And the amulet, again, we're going to see in a second is that because we don't deal with issues of ayin hara and mazal with regards to behema. The other items like the bandage, which is disgusting. If it fell off the animal, nobody would pick that up. Therefore, you don't have to worry about it. And obviously the boards to hold the leg in place, we assume that's going to stay there and they're necessary to be there. So we'll allow it to walk around with those. is because that's a natural part of the animal. It's not considered to be carrying. The bell, when you plug it, you're allowed to walk it around the chatzer because that's the bell is normally what's worn by it. You may not plug it and take it out to a shuta rabim because that looks like you're taking it out to the shuk to sell it. It was the advertisement for the animal when the bell was ringing. And therefore, even if you plug the bell, you may not take it out to the Rishut Rabim with the bell around its neck. So the Gemara says, The Rishut Rabim. 
said over here that the foals, the young horses, may not be taken out into the Rishut Rabim with these baskets around their necks. But that's only true to the Rishut Rabim. That means within the courtyard it was fine. That's a machlok at Rav and Shmuel before. Rav said, you're allowed to put a trust skull around the neck of the Beima. Shmuel said, you're not allowed to do that. And we said before, we're talking about there in the Chatzer. So over here, you could be medayek from this Brito, that that is the case, that by a trust skull, the only problem is in Rishut Rabim, but Chatzer would be fine. So my love, big dolim, kumshum tanuk. We're talking about older foals, who it would be just as easy for them to bend down and eat from the ground as it is for them to eat with the basket up above. And that's the case, it's simply tanub. Yet, we still allow it. So Mar says, lo, biktanim, we're talking about very young foals. Umisham tsar, and it's because of the pain that they face. Foals, when they're first born, as Rashi points out, their legs are a lot longer than their necks. And so it's very hard for them to bend down. They have trouble steadying themselves, standing up. If you ever seen a new foal that's born, they have trouble steadying themselves and, bo- and keeping themselves upright and bending down. So therefore, you put the basket on there to make it possible for them to eat. It would be very difficult for them to eat if you didn't put the basket over there. So they're referring to Tsar. Shmuel agreed when it came to Tsar, you're allowed to do something. Like the Mardat, to put on the back of the donkey, that you're allowed to do. But when it comes to something like Tanug, pleasure, he disagreed. So we've changed the Brighter. The Diyuk the Brighter was originally that Tanug was allowed. Now we're saying, no, Tanug's not allowed, but it is Tsar, and that's why it works. Take a Nami. I give me Daif, that from the Brighter. Diktani. Dumya, Dikmiya. It's similar to the Kamiya that was around the donkey's neck. Shmamina. Because what do you put an amulet on for? You don't put an amulet on for Tanug. You put an amulet on for Tsar, for Choli, for being sick. You want to cure the animal from its sickness. So, so to over here, the Traskal, the basket's putting around his neck for Tsar, not for Tanug. You may not put an amulet around the animal's neck in order to protect it, even if it comes from an expert. Where it says, wait a minute, we have a Mishnah later on, you cannot wear an amulet that does not come from an expert. This time we had a man, human. If he was an expert, you were allowed to put it on. Now we're talking about a case here where the amulet came from a, not an expert. Where it says, how can you say that? The bright thing says explicitly, even though it came from a mumche, from an expert. So Magar says, He is expert. He's cured people before. So his amulets are efficacious with regards to people, but he's not necessarily a mumche for behemah. So such a concept that a person can write amulets that help people and don't help bad animals? He says, yeah, that's the case. Person who is governed by mazel, then the amulets can help him out. That's not governed by Mazel. They won't help it. So it could be that a person could write amulets that help intercede for people because it can reverse, change, or block against the Mazel, against what would be the constellations or whatever would be the natural course of a person's destiny. Whereas by Behemoth, since they don't have that, intervening may not work. So therefore there is such a concept that a person can write amulets that help people, but don't help out Animals. If that's the case, didn't the Brighter conclude? Didn't we say that a behema has chumrot here that don't apply to a person? And we thought that referred to the kimeya, to the amulet. Whereas the human, a person could wear an amulet and a behema could not. You thought it was referring to the amulet. A sandal guy, it's referring to the sandal, the shoe. 
mean that a human, a person, could walk out with a shoe on Shabbat, because that's considered to be clothing. The animal may not walk out with the shoe on Shabbat, not because it's not clothing or it's not helpful, but because it might slip off. It wasn't put on properly, it wasn't attached, fixed properly, and therefore we might come to carry it on Shabbat. If it's a fixed properly, it's a part of the hoof, and it's not going to come off, that's not going to be a problem on Shabbat. Tashma. Sachin umifarkasim adam. One can anoint a wound, put oil or something on a wound, umifarkasin, and one can scrape off a scab that is bothering a person, adam. You can do that for a person, vain. Sachin umifarkasim lebeimah, but you may not do that for an animal. My love. Deikamako, even though there is a wound on the animal, Umishum tsar, and the animal's in pain, but you're still not allowed to do it. And that would be a question both on Rav and Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel both said you're allowed to do things that are Mishum tsar for the animal. Over here, it's impermissible, even though there's tsar. When it says, well, the gummer maka, Umishum tanug. The wound is really healed. It's the tail end of the wound. It's just a scab there, so it's a little bit of discomfort. It's something that would make it happier if it wasn't there. So that, we say you're not allowed to scrape off. So that will turn out to be a position that is helpful to Shmuel now, because Shmuel says, Tanug, no, Tsar, yes. For Rav, it would still be a problem, because Rav says, even Tanug, even putting the basket around the neck is permissible, and here too, we would want him to say that it is permissible. So for Rav, this explanation will be difficult. In the end, Rashi says, is Tanu Paliku. Rav has a status in some places like a Tano, and therefore we leave it as not being a problem for Rav. We have this brighter here. We had the brighter before, and we're going to have a couple more brighter that seem to argue with Rav's position. And the Gemara leaves them all in place and doesn't say anything. So Rashi says, Rav Tano Upoli. The Rav has the status of Tano, and therefore the Gemara is okay leaving these brightot as being difficult for Rav. So Tashma. Beima Shachzadam. It has some sort of congestion, blockage of blood. We don't put it or stand it in cold water to cool off. Adam Shachzodam, if a human has the same condition, a person has the same condition, we put him in cold water in order that he cools off and that resolves the issue. So, The reason that we do this is because we're afraid of crushing of the herbs. In order to make the medicines in their day, they did it in a pestle and a mortar. They used to crush the item down, which is a malacha del raita. So, in general, on Shabbat, we prohibit all types of medicinal cures or getting engaged with anything that's medicinal because of this which is that we are afraid that you will come to make the medicine on Shabbat. So the reason you're not allowed to do this with the behemah, the refuah for the behemah, is because you might come then to get engaged with medicine. Why don't you say the same thing by a person? Why do you permit it by a person? That's not a problem. A person who goes into cold water on Shabbat looks like he's cooling himself off. It doesn't necessarily have to be for refuah, for medical reasons. He could go into the water for medical reasons. He could go in the water to cool himself off. You see him in the water, it's not definitive that he's doing it for medicinal reasons. So say the same thing by an animal. When it goes to cool itself off, it's fine. The Gemara says that there is no cooling off by an animal. People don't stick animals into cold water in order to cool them off. 
Therefore, if you find an animal in cold water, the only reason it would be there is for medicinal reasons, and therefore it's definitive. If you see the animal in the water, it's medicinal. If that's the case, then we have a problem of shikat mamanim. We're gozer in that case. Gemara says, Are we gozer in terms of medicinal issues by animals? When it comes to an animal that's outside of the tchum, you can call the animal and it comes towards you. And we're not gozer in that case, and maybe you'll come and bring it yourself. The Gemara's assumption over here is that this person is at the end of his tchum. The tchum being the 2,000 amot that he's permitted on Shabbat to walk. He's at the tail end of his 2,000 amot. The animal is beyond the 2,000 amot. So we say you are permitted to call the animal to come to you inside of your tchum so that you could then have it or engage with it, bring it home, whatever you want to do with it. We don't worry about the fact that you might possibly go out of your tchum to go bring it. So over there, we're not goes there out of a fear that if we allow you to engage with the animal, you'll come to do something. So why over here are we worried about you cooling off the animal? So if you engage with the animal, now we're afraid that you're going to get involved with the crushing of medicines? The basic theme is, are we goes there when you engage with an animal up to the possibility that you might violate the Shabbat? Over here it's dealing with chum, over there it's dealing with medicine. Do we say when you engage, we're afraid of what the outcome might be? It has to be where we're talking about both of them are in the same chum. Meaning that... Your tchum and the animal's tchum overlap. So the animal is not outside of your tchum. So then what's the problem? If the animal is not outside of your tchum, what's the problem? The problem is that the animal is at the tail end of its tchum. So the animal, technically, what you're doing now is encouraging the animal to go out of its own tchum. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to engage the animal to bring it outside of its tchum? And the answer will be yes, that you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to engage the animal to move outside of its own tchum as long as you're within your tchum. But once you've done that, you've avoided the question now, because you're not outside of your tchum at this point in time. There's no gzeira atu. There's no fear that you're going to leave the tchum to engage the animal, because you're still within your tchum then, and the animal's within your tchum. So that won't be a problem. Just to note over here, Rashi mentions before why you allow to encourage the animal to leave its tchum. If tchum is a din in Shabbat, why are you allowed to encourage the animal to leave its own tchum? So first of all, the setup is where the animal is with the shepherd. And so the animal then gains its tchum like the shepherd. Because he comes like the property of the shepherd. And your possessions have the same tchum as you. Wherever you are, all your possessions have the same tchum that wherever you are. Technically, if it's your animal... It should have your tchum. So what's the question of it having a different tchum? The answer is that you gave it over to be watched by a ro'eh. Therefore, the animal took on the tchum of the ro'eh because he becomes, quote-unquote, the possession of the ro'eh at that time. That's how you have a different tchum. Why are you allowed to encourage it to leave its tchum? Rashi says over here, As long as you don't physically carry it out from its tchum, you are not commanded to watch over your animal's tchum. You have to watch that your animal rests on Shabbos, you have to watch that it doesn't carry, you can't drive your animal on Shabbat with a load on it, but there's no restriction against you taking your animal outside of the tchum as long as you don't do it by hand, you don't physically walk it out. Nachman Yitzchakamar, Shkikat, Simamanim, Ufa, Tanahi. It says the whole zero about medicines, that is a machoka tanaim, Tanya. An animal that ate karshinim, ate these oats, this food that is ro'oi for animals, and ate a lot. And now in order to resolve the issue of it eating a lot, it has to relieve itself. So, you can't run it around the courtyard in order to loosen it up so that it will relieve itself. Yosha says that's fine. That the aloha is like raboshia or Yoshaya, depending on which girsa you have here. So the issue of whether we are goes there with animals, 
That is even a machoket tanaim. It's not so clear that we always goes there. And if that's the case, then you don't even have to reconcile with the brighter. You can have two different opinions. You can have a tano who says it's problematic, and you can have a tano who says it's not problematic. It's not necessary, therefore, to engage or to reconcile between the two of them. Right, next part of the Gemara. Mar, lo yitzay azav b'kish shelo, lo yizim b'kish shibedadeim. The zav cannot go out his cover or his cup. Lo yizim b'kish shibedadeim, and not the goats with the pocket or the cover for their udders. Vatanya, we have a brayta. Yotzot yizim b'kish shibedadeim. For brayta that says they're allowed to go out. Amayuda lo kasha had mehadik, adolom mehadik. That's not a problem. It depends on it's tied on tightly or not tied on tightly. If it's tied on tightly, that's fine. Because we're not fearful that it'll fall off and you'll come to carry it. If it's not tightly tied on, then we're afraid it'll fall away and you'll come to carry it in the Shutter Rabim. I don't understand what you're doing here. You took two brightot and you feel like a necessity to reconcile between two brightot. Why can't you just say that it's a makloket tanaim? Why are you compelled to take two different brightot and say, oh, we have to make them agree? That's not necessarily true. Tanayi. It's a makloket tanaim. We had it in our Mishnah. It's none. Ha'izim Yotzotro wrote, that's the Tanakama, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yossi, Oser B'Guan Chutzmin HaRechelot HaKbunot. Rabbi Yossi says that Tzrorot is Asur. And Rabbi Yudo Meir, Izim Yotzotro wrote the Yabesh, Avalo Lechalev. So we know that it's a Machlok HaTanayim. Rabbi Meir says you're allowed to go out, Mehadek, and Rabbi Yossi says you're not allowed. So we can just describe the one bright uh, to Rabbi Meir, and the other bright uh, to Rabbi Yossi. Why are you feeling compelled to reconcile them. As Tosfat says, Rabbi Huda knew that you could reconcile this way. He felt more comfortable having it be one author, be the author of all these brightot to deal with the issue. But as Rabbi Yossi says, you're not compelled to do that. Some say, They're both Rabbi The difference being to whether you're trying to dry it out, Rabbi Huda says it's okay, or in the case where you are trying to preserve the milk, that it's a sur. Again, we said before, Rashi says the preserving of the milk here, problem is that it becomes a masui because your milk is going to gather inside of the pocket or the cover, and that's why it's a problem. So Savot says he doesn't think that's the issue. says it doesn't make so much sense because everybody would agree that that's considered to be a masui. Everybody, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Yudu would all agree that if you're capturing the milk, that's called carrying on Shabbat. So they re-perish the ben liyabesh ben nechleves tavayu avdelu gedelosh isrutu dadehen. So that the udders will not get scratched or scraped up. Because when they're full, they hang down lower. And so therefore there is a problem with them getting scratched or ruined on the ground. But that's what he says. The problem is, again, others say that it's to prevent other animals from coming and nursing from this goat. Or to allow it to gain heft or allow the milk to refill. Whatever the reasons are that you would do it. They had very large udders. And they made them these covers in order that their udders would not get scraped. Since they had these very large udders and they would get scraped or rub against the ground, they covered them in order to protect them, which again is allowed, assuming that you are doing it. Either the yabesh is one, or if you tied it tightly. It was put on tightly where we don't have a fear of it coming off. Person, his wife passed away, she was nursing, and now he left him a child who needed to nurse. So before the days of formula, where you needed either the mother or a wet nurse in order to take care of the child, before they came into solids. He didn't have money to pay for a wet nurse. When Asalonis, a miracle happened to him, he grew two breasts to feed this child, and he was able to nurse his child. 
Look how great this person is. That a miracle happened to him that he was able to feed his child. It says at the opposite. How lowly is this person? That God had to change the normal course of nature in order to solve his problem. He had to basically make him into a woman in order to solve his problem. So Yehuda says, well, let's really look at this. Look how difficult it is to make a parnosah. It was easier for Hashem to change the course of nature and allow this man to have breasts to feed his child than it was to just give him a parnosah to pay for a wet nurse. He says, I can prove that to you. Rav Nachman says, we have many golim. Who miracles happened to them. Gemara describes miracles that happened to the Amoraim, whether they split the Yardin, they were miraculous things that happened to them, but they still, nobody ever got the miracle of having their Parnassah provided for them. So you see that Parnassah is so difficult that even when it comes to people who have miracles transpire or happen for them, it never engages in that area of Parnassah. It always happens in other areas. And that shows you or gives you a sense of how difficult it is Number one, to make a pranasa, and how it is to change when there is difficulty in making a pranasa, how difficult that is to change that course. Man married a woman who was missing a part of her arm. And he had no idea of that until the day she died. Look how she was the humility, the the modesty of this woman who kept herself covered so that her husband never saw this issue with her. What's so great about the woman? A woman in general is covered and is tznuah. Look how tznuah this man himself is because he didn't recognize it. I mean that he conducted himself in a way that he didn't know that the woman had it. The woman, that's her natural way to be. Especially a woman who's missing her arm. Of course she would cover herself to protect herself and so that people wouldn't know. He was the one that you should compliment over here because he didn't recognize that. Scream go out coupled. My lubuvim. I'm Ravuna Tutre from the word tray, doubled, coupled. My mashmat hai lubuvim lishna de kuvehu. How do you know this word lubuvim means a lashon of being close? Dirtiv, the bavtani achuti kala. You have heartfelt love for me, my sister, my bride. So the word they're playing on is lev or libav. So lubuvim is heart to heart, meaning that they are close by, they're attached together. It's an extra piece of skin that they used to tie around their hearts, the hearts of the animal. That the wolves, when they attacked them, they used to attack the heart of the animal. So they used to put on an extra protection around the heart so that the wolves would not be able to gain access or to be able to hurt them there. Wait a minute. The wolves, when they attacked the herd, the flock, they only attacked the males, not the females. Because here in the Mishnah it says only males are you not allowed to do this. So where it says, because the males go in front. They're the ones who walk in front. They're the ones who are going to be attacked by the wolves. Where it says, and the wolves attack, they only attack the front of the flock. They don't attack the back of the flock. That's not true. Because they're fat. They're fatter, the wolves go after them. Where it says, Wait a minute, with the females, there are no fat females. There's no heavy females that they would go after. The two. Since when does a wolf differentiate between the male and the female? It doesn't know how to distinguish between males and females. The reason is that the males carry themselves differently. 
They hold their heads up, their noses up, and they look around. So the wolves take that as a sign that they're poking fun at them, they're looking out for them. So the wolves go after those animals who they feel are engaging with them, that are looking at them. It's actually an extra piece of skin leather that they tie underneath their reproductive organs, to prevent them from impregnating a female. How do you know that's the case? Because of the remainder of the Mishnah. The remainder of the Mishnah is talking about the female reproductive systems, which is that the females can go with their tails tied up. What is chuzot? They tie their tails upward. In order that the males will impregnate them. They're making them accessible to the males. So you see that the mission is talking about issues of whether it's preventing or encouraging reproduction. It's true later on in the mission too. The reason that you cover or you tie down the females or that she will not become impregnated. So you see all the items in the mission are talking about this issue of reproduction. So therefore, this libuvim is the same thing. They put a skin there to prevent the male from impregnating the female. Reisha Kadesh Lo Yalu Ale Nechayvot. The Reisha is talking about a case to prevent them from impregnating the females. V'sev Kadesh Yalu Ale Hem Zecharim. Is in order to encourage them to impregnate them. How do you know the shchuzot is exposing the females' reproductive organs? Because the pasuk says, "There's a woman approaching him in Mishlei. Shit zona. She's dressed up as a harlot. Unitzurat lave, and she is of wily heart. And as Rashi says, shit zona is notrikon de shchuzot. It's a acronym. It's a shortened version of shchuzot." So that you put it together, that's how you get it. And then Rashi says, uh, Shit over here means Beta Boshet is the woman's reproductive area. But Shit Zonai, she's dressed up like a harlot, which is that she's trying to seduce or encourage the one she is approaching. Now the same thing over here, the Shchuzot is to encourage the reproduction with the female. Okay, we'll stop over here.